0: Good morning, everybody. Glad you're with us this morning. Uh, we are on week number two of a series that we're doing called Dangerous Prayers. And in this series, uh, we're talking about moving beyond the safe, uh, simple, sort of comfortable prayers that we typically pray when we pray for things like uh, safety and promotions and good grades and raises and comfort and all that. And, and like we said last week, does God love it when to hear our voice? Does God love it when we bring all kinds of prayers and requests to Him? Of course He does, right? He tells us, man, He delights uh, in hearing the voices of His kids. But also, like we talked about last week, um, so often, I think, our prayers, when we pray for things like comfort and safety and prosperity all the time, they don't always uh, line up with God's plans and God's agenda for us, to, plans like to show his power and to show his glory to the world. It's not even sometimes in our own best uh, interest, uh, since we're often, um, we often come to life in our faith. We often... Uh, Grow and seek him and hit our knees and start praying. Oftentimes when we go through hard seasons in life or when we feel like we're getting stretched or things like that. And so we, we've just been saying for a few weeks, we're just kind of hitting the pause button saying, what if we prayed a little bit differently? What if we learned to pray some other prayers, some prayers that sometimes are gonna stretch us, sometimes are gonna be outside of our comfort zone, but prayers that line up uh, directly with what God teaches in his book and prayers that are guaranteed to, uh, to bring our faith to life. And so last week we talked about uh, praying the prayer, search me. And we said, uh, we looked at Psalm 139 and just kind of praying that person, God, would you would you search my heart? Would you, we said, would you point out the, the, the areas in my life that, uh, that uh, are fear that I'm fearful in. Would you would you uncover the sins in my life so that I can uh, confess them and be free and be cleansed from those things? And then would you would you lead me? So we, we we've been saying for 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 last week we were saying would you would you just pray this prayer? Would you start praying, God? Would you search me and then uh, allow Him to do His leading and His work uh, in your life? This week we are going to talk about another prayer, and this prayer is break me. Um, and I bet let me put on the prophet hat for a minute and just say, "I bet this will be the late least favorite message for a lot of us in the room, and yet maybe the most important one that we talk about. Because in our country, in our culture, in our lives, we like to be strong don't we? We like to be in control. We like to, to imagine that we control our own destiny. Even the American, the whole American dream imagery, right? As we, we pull ourselves up by our own strength and our own will and our own might. We pull ourselves up and we make, we, we come out of nothing. We make something of ourselves. We like to imagine that we are strong. We love that. We love to be in control. We love to be in charge. We delight in thinking that we have all the answers, We like to think of uh, that we control our own destiny, our own success, that we are capable of anything. We like to be strong, but the Bible paints a little bit different picture of reality, doesn't it? God teaches teaches us, and I think even in the quiet moments in our lives, I think we know this to be true. But he, he teaches us that, in fact, he is the strong one and that we are weak. He teaches us that he is the wise one and we are not. He teaches us that he is the only one that is truly in control all the time and and, and we're not so much. In fact, the Bible talks a ton about this whole idea that our lives actually function best and our faith comes fully alive when we acknowledge and realize and live in brokenness. And so we're going to be unpacking that a little bit today, talking about what that is, uh, what that means, why in the world we would pray for it. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I'm going to challenge you the same way I'm doing each week of the series. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you to actually pray that, if you're willing to pray that uh, every day throughout the next week, saying, God, would you break me so that I can find healing and life in you? Would you break me of my pride? Would you break me of some of the things that... that uh, some of the ways that keep me from you so that I can really come alive and become more of who you uh, intended for me to be and you intend for me to be. So sound fair? That's kind of where we're going today. I listened to a great message this week uh, that kind of got me thinking in a little bit different direction than where I was planning to go. Uh, but listen to a great message uh, from a, a passage in the Bible in Mark 14. And i want to start there this morning. It tells two different stories that are kind of interconnected. The first one talks, tells a story about a prostitute that has an encounter with Jesus. And he's quite possibly the first person in years maybe the first person in decades to treat this woman with dignity and respect he's kind to her he shows her love and likely points her uh, to new life uh, with the father in heaven And she ends up turning her life uh, over to him, kind of heading back home to God and uh, is literally transformed by Jesus. And so this whole story comes after that when she comes back to Jesus and she brings uh, a big kind of alabaster jar of perfume and anoints Jesus' feet with with it. And so we're going to pick it up. Mark chapter 14, starting with verse 3. We're going to start there. It says this. Well, he, Jesus, was in Bethany reclining at the table in the house of Simon the leper, which I just think is interesting. Think about that for a second. What do we know about Simon? What's the only thing we know about Simon from this passage? He's a leper. People in, uh, in the first century, how do you think they'd respond to lepers? What, what would you do? You would run away as far as you could, right? Leprosy, very contagious, very scary kind of disease in that day. I mean, uh, just fascinating to me that that they mentioned he was in the home of Simon the leper. While everybody else is running away, Jesus runs towards, and that's kind of who he is. It's how he functions. It's probably the same reason that this woman, this prostitute, also um, has this amazing encounter with Jesus. Because while everyone else would shame her and shun her, Jesus is the person that runs towards her and rescues her. Amazing. Anyway, let's go. So he was in the home of Simon the leper. um, And uh, it says this, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and she poured it, uh, the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. I love this story, I have to say. In Jesus' day, let me kind of give you some context. In Jesus' day, women didn't really uh, wear perfume. Why? Because it was extremely expensive. Perfume was typically only worn by kind of two classes of people. One would be at the top, the rich, the elite, the princesses and whatever in that day, right? They would wear perfume, but the uh, the other end of the spectrum would be prostitutes would wear it because it was sort of their calling card, right? So these women would put on perfume. Perfume, they would walk through the crowded courts or the crowded temple or the crowded, uh, um, why can't I think of it where you sell uh, goods and stuff? Market. market. Yeah, market and stuff. Uh, they would walk through there. And as the perfume would sort of waft through the crowd, every guy in the crowd that would smell it would go, oh, I see. She's available. It was sort of their, it was kind of her calling card. It's, it's her way of saying, hey, I'm available for anybody that's interested, right? So this, this represents uh, kind of her livelihood. So she's wearing perfume. Uh, she, she would likely be one that wears perfume, but she, in this story, ends up bringing it before Jesus. Probably represents her life savings, right? It's very, very costly. Represents her future, represents her livelihood, this jar, this expensive jar of perfume, and she brings it to Jesus, and she breaks it and she pours it out on him it says verse 5 tells us it's worth a year's wages i mean can you imagine like perfume that would cost maybe let's say 40 or 50000 dollars can you imagine in our culture in our day and age a- amazing cost a ton and she breaks it and she pours it out I was thinking about it this weekend. Thinking, Dave Ramsey would have had a cow, right? This is her biggest. This is her biggest asset. That amount of money. I mean, and some of the people in uh, some of Jesus' followers even say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't break that. Why don't you just you can give a little bit to him, but then you could sell it. You could give it to the poor. Think of what good you could do with this." But she takes all of it. She breaks it and she pours it out before Jesus. It's her way of saying, "I give you my livelihood." I give you my treasure. I give you my present and my future. All I am is yours. I pour it out before you. She's literally laying down her life to Jesus. It's an amazing picture of brokenness. Well, this story leads right in to another. It's the story of Jesus' last supper with his disciples. Jesus meets together with his followers and right before he is to be arrested and betrayed and eventually uh, beaten and whipped and crucified for the sins of the people, for our sins, he knows what's coming. He speaks of what's coming to his followers. But before that happens, he takes one final meal and he has one final meal with his followers. And I want you to listen to the language as we read through it. It comes from Mark 14. We'll jump to verse 22. And it says this, While they were eating... They, his followers, were eating. Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, listen to the language, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, take it, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for you and for many. He says to them. I think it's interesting imagery. Again, we see this whole picture of this is my body broken for you. This is my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus is saying to his followers, I am going to be broken. I am going to be poured out for God as a sin offering for the world. My body will literally be broken. My blood will literally be poured out for you. He's saying to his followers and for many, for, this, for the sins of the world. Luke records a story too, and he adds one little detail in Luke 22, verse 19 says this, and Jesus, right, took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you, and then he adds this, do this in remembrance of me. He's saying, break the bread, break the bread. Pour out the drink of the cup and then drink it in remembrance of me, and certainly Jesus here is is referring to communion right he 's saying every time you, you break bread and you drink the cup he 's saying remember me it 's the picture of the lord 's Supper. remember what i 've done. Remember how I poured out my life for you so that you can be forgiven so that you can be free. To picture of communion, but several scholars and authors that I read this week talked about the parallels between this story and the previous story. And they suggest that not only is Jesus here talking about communion, but it's even broader than that. They're saying that part of what uh, we are to do in remembrance of Jesus is to live the same way. That we too would be broken, that we too would be poured out before Jesus, that we too would live our lives for the Father, that we too would be broken so that others could come to find life in Christ. Do this, he says, in remembrance of me. And as I was reading it this week and kind of meditating on this, it just, it, It just got me thinking about all the other places in Scripture, and there are probably hundreds of verses uh, between the Old and New Testament that talk about this whole idea of being broken and poured out before God. In fact, uh, the Bible spends a ton of time uh, just kind of... Teaching that this whole, this whole idea of being broken, of being humble, of being poured out, of offering our lives, of being surrendered even before God. I want to kind of talk about that and zero in a little bit. I'm going to look at a couple of these verses right now, and then we'll look at a bunch more as we kind of go through today. But here's here's a couple of these. Isaiah 66 puts it this way. Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord. Now listen to this. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit. Contrite means broken, literally. Those who are humble and broken in spirit and who tremble at my word. Those are the ones that I look on with favor, God says. And Psalm 51 is talking about sacrifices that are pleasing or not pleasing to God. And he ends up saying this, the sacrifices that are pleasing of God are this, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will never, you will not despise so what does that mean? What does that mean to be broken, to have a broken and contrite spirit or heart? What does that mean to, uh, to live our lives that way? What does that look like? Well, I think there's three different pieces that I kind of want to zero in on what it looks like to be broken before God, the kind of brokenness that the Bible is talking about. And the first one is this. The first one is, it's, I think brokenness implies sort of an accurate picture of ourselves, Those who have a broken spirit towards God have an accurate picture of who they are and an accurate picture of who they are not. They don't see themselves as all that. They don't see themselves more highly than they should. They don't compare themselves with others and then judge how they're doing. Instead, their eyes are fixed on God and they take their cues from him and his word and see their own brokenness and their own sinfulness in light of that. They see the ways that they fall short and they are repentant for their sin. There's an old saying that I remember hearing one time that says, they that know God will be humble, and they that know themselves cannot be proud. And I think that's true, right? I mean, if we, if we get a glimpse of God's amazing nature, right, a, a glimpse of who he is, it makes us aware of all that we are not. You know, it makes us aware of our own sin. It makes us aware of our own shortcomings. And as indeed, even like we talked about last week, praying the prayer and allowing God to search our hearts. It says they that know themselves cannot be proud. If we take just a bit of time and look inward, we have to agree and say, you know what? I'm a wreck on my own. I am a sinful man. I am a sinful woman, right? I'm a sinful person and I am desperately in need of, of God's forgiveness, of God's grace of God's love That's I'm banking it all on that Matthew 5 3 and 4 actually uh, Jesus, uh, this is comes from the Sermon on the Mount, it's the Beatitudes and he puts it like this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and then he goes on to say blessed are those who mourn who are broken, it's a picture of brokenness, for they will be comforted. Those who are broken, friends, this is a picture of brokenness. Those who are broken know that they are poor in spirit. Know They are aware of their own poverty in their own souls, their, their own neediness before God. And they are completely betting it all on God's mercy, on God's forgiveness. They know that they've got nothing to bring to the table on their own because they have an accurate picture of who they are, an accurate picture of who God is. If you need to be reminded of this this week, I'd encourage you to open up God's book and read through that, that uh, section in Matthew 5 and 6 that I just talked about, the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus, this is his, his biggest and most lengthy uh, sermon ever preached. Some people call it the best sermon ever preached by Jesus himself, and it's a picture where he, he spends a lot of time saying, you know, it's not just the outside kind of stuff that makes you clean or un- unclean, but it's the inside so he goes on and says, You know, you've heard it said, uh, you know, don't, don't commit adultery, right? Don't, don't uh, sleep around with people outside of marriage, somebody that's not your, your husband or your wife. He says, But I tell you, if you even are looking at somebody lustfully, You've already committed adultery in your heart. He's saying it's not just the outside. It's not just looking like you're pure, but it's actually being pure that makes a difference. If you're not, then you're not pure, right? If, if, it's, if there's stuff going on up here, it still matters, right? It's, it's a big deal. He spends a ton of time. You read through that, and I have to say, you, you, you read through the, the Sermon on the Mount, you get to the end of it, and if you are honest, if you, are, if you will take just a moment and pause and be honest, you know what you have to say at the end of that? I'm a wreck. I am in need of God's grace. On my own, I'm not enough. On my own, I'm not strong enough. I'm not pure enough. I'm not holy enough. And I am so in need of God's grace and forgiveness. It's brokenness. It's an accurate picture of who God is and and who I am and who I am not. Sometimes religious people get themselves all puffed up, thinking that they are better than they are, thinking they are greater, thinking they've got it together. Well, I read my Bible, check, and I pray this many minutes a day, check, and I don't do those terrible sins like those people do, check. So therefore, God's pretty lucky to have me. You know, I mean, we kind of we get that attitude. Religious people get this kind of attitude, but I'll tell you what, friends, Jesus had nothing good to say about the religious leaders and the religious people like that of his day. You want to know who he had most love and compassion and grace for? It was people that were painfully aware of their own brokenness. People that were painfully aware of saying, I have no shot on my own, I'm a wreck, and I need a Savior. To those kind of people, Jesus says, man, the gates of my kingdom are wide open to you. There is life. There is forgiveness, right? There's good news for you. The good stuff, according to, to, to God's book, the good stuff comes to the brokenhearted. The good stuff comes to us when we realize our own need, our own, you know, shortcomings apart from him. So it's the first kind of picture of brokenness. Uh, actually, one little, I'll hit the pause button for just a second. One, one little comment on this. When I'm talking about brokenness, I just want to make sure we're clear. What I'm not talking about is sort of this self-loathing kind of thing, this whole, oh, I'm no good. I'm no, like, I mean, I'm not talking about like a self-esteem kind of thing, right? That's, that's not the kind of picture that the Bible paints. In fact, I would say that people that are broken probably have greater confidence in their identity than the rest of the world at large. you want to know why? Because they're they're not betting it all on their own human performance. But they are are amazingly aware, and this is probably tattooed on their soul, that even in the midst of being, of their shortcomings, in the midst of their sin, that they have a father who loves them, a father who thinks they're worth dying for, a father that rejoices over them right, that has saved them and rescued them, that cares about them so much that he has done everything possible so that he can come and take up residence in their lives. And that's sort of a center, it's an anchor for their souls. It's hope in their lungs. It's It's a sense at the core of their being that they matter and they are beloved by God. You with me? Brokenness. It's actually not, it's not a, I'm so bad. It's not a, I, I always think of that picture. Is it from Monty Python or something? There's priests walking around going, Kiri, Domine. Whack, right? They're walking around with boards. They whack themselves over the head. That's not the picture that we're talking about. You are dearly loved. And yet you have an accurate picture of who you are and who you're not. Second thing, second kind of picture of, of brokenness is it's a giving up. It's a surrendering of our own wills to God. Biblical brokenness means that we have an accurate picture of who we are and who we're not, but it's also coming to a place where we sort of open up our hearts and our hands and we say, God, we want to have your will and not just our own. It's a surrendering, a giving up of our plans. It's a surrendering and a giving up of, of, on our strength and our wills and some of that. Part of Christianity requires a dying to self so that we can live to Christ. reminds me of a story. I was thinking about this week as we were watching all the uh, the hubbub of uh, inauguration and all that kind of stuff, but it reminded me of that this week. A story, true story, about a guy by the name of Tracy Bailey uh, stood in the White House Rose Garden in 1993. He stood there in the present, presence of the President of the United States, and he received the National Teacher of the Year award. Just some short 15 years earlier, he had stood as a teenager in the presence of a county judge in Indiana to be sentenced to jail. Bailey had gone on a drunken rampage with friends, vandalized their high school, had been caught and found guilty. Nevertheless, Bailey stood before the judge with his head held high. The words of his high school wrestling coach still ringing in his ears, don't you ever hang your head, don't ever admit defeat, don't ever show weakness. The minute you do, it's over. The judge looked at this proud teenager and stunned the courtroom with Bailey's sentence. Five years in the Indiana Youth Center, a prison just one step below the state penitentiary. Tracy Bailey went to jail with his head still held high, but it took only a couple of months for reality to set in. One day, as he sat in solitary confinement in a cell with nothing more than a metal cot, a sink, and a toilet, he realized he'd made a dreadful mistake. And he began to weep. And more importantly, he began to cry out to God, God, help me. Rescue me. I need you. I'm defeated without you. Well, that was the turning point for him. He joined a prison Bible study, began taking college correspondence courses. His entire life was transformed. Fourteen months uh, after he he started his time in jail, he was actually released on probation. And after further college studies, he became a, a science teacher in Florida. With these words, he summarized the lessons that he had learned in his life. He said, I bowed my head and tasted victory. Isn't that great? It's a picture of brokenness. I bowed my head, I, and, and literally, he probably bowed his knee, right? I, a surrendering of his will to God's, saying, God, I'm, I've blown it. I have gone my own way. I've tried to be strong enough. I've tried to, I, I went however I wanted to go, and it was wrong. So I surrender all I am to you. I'm broken and poured out for you. And his entire life was transformed. What happened to Mr. Bailey is that he was broken. It took a whole heap to get him there. But finally, he bowed his knee. He gave up on the control. He gave up the direction and the course his life was taking. He gave up on his, his strong, prideful approach to life, and he surrendered to something else. Jesus puts it this way in Luke nine twenty three. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. What does it mean to take up your cross? What's a cross? What is the cross in that day? It's death, right? It's a a picture of death. It's like saying, in today's day and age, it's like saying, take up your electric chair and follow me. I mean, that's sort of what it's like, right? Take up the gas chamber. He's saying, you're choosing death so that you can experience and find life. He said, right, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross uh, daily, a daily learning to surrender to his will, to his plans, to him, and then come and follow me and you will find life. That's where, that's where the good stuff is at. Denying uh, yourself is not just a one-time deal. He, sa- he makes a point of saying, take up your cross daily. It's a daily choosing to give up on our, our own plans, on our own strength, and our own course. I think that sometimes the longer we've been a Christian, the harder this becomes because we think I've done that before, right? We think that whole surrendering to Jesus thing, oh yeah, it's something I did five years ago or 10 years ago or when I was three years old or when I was six years old. But that's not the picture that he says, right? It's a daily surrendering. He's saying whoever wants to be my follower must come and take up their cross daily and follow me. It's a picture of brokenness, a picture of surrendering our wills to his. It's a surrendering of our strength and our will and our common sense, of our calling the shots in our lives. But life and fullness, the plans that Jesus has for us are found as we bow our knee, as we surrender those things and follow him. We need to be broken before God and poured out as a sinful woman poured out her livelihood and her future and her savings, her all before Jesus and surrender. We need to do the same thing. She gave him up and she gave him over to him. That takes us to the third one is it's not just about us giving up on our plans, but it's a submitting to God and his plans for us. Submitting to God's plans for our lives. That's the third part of what it means to be broken. God wants you and I to live lives that are under His control. Our character, our passions, our desires, our dreams, our occupations, our decisions, our hopes, our families, every part of every minute of our lives, God wants to be under His leadership, under His lordship, under His control. That's what it means to live in God's kingdom and not our own. That's that His will would be done in our lives, that His will would be done in our relationships, that His will will we would be seeking for our lives, for our world. He's living his life through you. I read this week um, from a guy by the name of Stephen Kinzer, who writes about Asian men who train eagles for hunting. And he says this, this is the quote, he says, the capture, taming, training, and keeping of eagles is highly ritualized. Most of the birds, which have a lifespan of about 40 years, he says, are caught when they are very young. Once captured, the eagle is hooded and placed in a cage or a perch that sways back and forth constantly so it cannot rest or sleep. For two or three days, the bird is also deprived of the adequate amount of food. During this time, the Berkuchi, what an eagle hunter is called, talks and sings to the bird for hours on end. And finally, when the time is right, uh, they begin to feed and stroke the eagle. Slowly, the weakened creature comes to rely on its master and trust its master. When the Bercucci decides that their relationship has become strong enough, the training begins. It says, not all eagles can be trained, but those who take to this life uh, with a master display intense loyalty. I was thinking about it in this week and just thinking... Uh, uh, how amazing it is can you imagine by the way how amazing it would be to to, to have an eagle be trained uh, i've seen some of these before like falcons birds of prey that can be that have been trained and the things that they'll do are amazing they will obey their masters they'll go where he tells them to go do what he tells them to do although the training of the eagle might seem a little bit cruel or harsh In a similar way, I was thinking this week, right? God wants to break us in a similar way. He wants to train us in a similar way. Uh, Kind of break us of our independent and rebellious spirit and heart. He wants to teach us to obey and to follow and submit to his will. He doesn't do it because he's cruel. He does it because he made us and he loves us and he wants what's best for us. He knows that we are made for relationship with him. We are made for him. Life works best As we follow him and we come to know him and depend on him, we were made to be submitted to him. Oswald Chambers, I don't know, it could be him, could be A.W. Tozer, it's been attributed to several people, but it said this, it says, before God can use a man greatly, he must wound him or break him deeply. And I think it's true. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves to God. Now, some of you are probably asking the question and thinking, why in the world would I want to do this? If brokenness involves sort of a, a look inward and taking an honest look and realizing my own shortcomings... If brokenness involves a dying to my will and my desires and my plans and then living and submitting to God's, why in the world would I do that? Why would I choose to be broken? Why would I pray for it? That just sounds like craziness. Why would I pray for such a thing? And I think here's the truth, and this is what we're going to, I just want you to see in the rest of our time together. The truth of the matter is this. Life's greatest breakings often lead to God's greatest blessing. Let me say it again. Life's greatest breakings often lead us to God's greatest blessings. And I think you see this throughout the pages of God's book, don't you? I was thinking this week about the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. Joseph, whose brother sold him into slavery not a good gig, who uh, eventually was wrongfully accused, wrongfully imprisoned, and then forgotten there, sort of left for dead, was taken far away from home, and on and on and on. You read the story, and you think, what in the world? It finally gets to a place where he is broken before God. And then you see that the source of, uh, of life's greatest breakings become this sort of the answer to God's greatest blessing, God lifts him up, makes him basically the vice president in Egypt, uses him to save, his, uh, save an entire nation. He uses him to save his entire family. He uses him to reconcile him with his brothers who had betrayed him and abandoned him and sold him into slavery. God did an amazing work and it came through the vehicle of brokenness in his life. Or even the New Testament characters, the, the kind of the main characters there are either Peter or Paul. I was thinking about Peter this week, right? He was he was uh, somebody that denied Jesus three times, right? Jesus even predicted it. He showed. He said, you know, this is what's going to happen. You're going to deny me three times. He's like, there's no stinking way, right? I would not, I would die for you. I would die with you that very night, right? What happens? hey, aren't you one of his followers? I don't know what you're talking about. Three times, the third time, uh, he actually makes eye contact with Jesus where Jesus turns and looks out the window as he's betraying him the third time. And the Bible says he went outside and wept bitterly. He was broken. He was broken. Days later, Jesus appears to him Again, restores him and uses him in unbelievable ways. Literally within a couple of weeks of his betrayal, a few weeks, he uses him to lead 3,000 people to Christ. God uses him to lead 3,000 people to Christ in one day. It's incredible. Life's greatest breakings often lead to God's greatest blessings. Blessings. Or Paul, right, used to, used to kill Christians, spent the first half of his life persecuting the church, the first ha- half of his life fighting against the God he thought he was fighting for until Jesus appears to him one day, knocks him off his horse, so to speak, speaks to him, opens his eyes to see uh, his own shortcomings, his own sin, his own rebellion, where his own waywardness has taken him. He's blinded for three days, is broken, and then God restores him. He opens his eyes, right? Scales fall off his eyes, and he can see. And God uses this guy to bring the message of Christ, to bring the good news to the world, to everybody beyond Jerusalem and Israel. In fact, uh, our spiritual heritage, if if you are a follower of Jesus today, your spiritual heritage likely can be traced back to the apostle Paul. God used him in incredible, incredible ways. But before God can use a person greatly, he needs to break him deeply, and that's what he did. Friends, so often life's greatest breakings lead us to God's greatest blessings. Let me just list six of of these kind of areas. These are all promises. I've I've shared them once before. This is like bonus material today. So I'm going to do rapid fire if I can uh, through these. But I just want you to see, what because it's so countercultural for us, because we associate brokenness and weakness and humility with negatives. And the Bible paints the exact opposite picture. They said, are you kidding me? Brokenness and humility leads to the good stuff. This is where blessing comes from. So let me do let me do kind of six areas rapid fire promises to those who are broken to walk the path of brokenness before God. The first one is this: is that God is close to you. Oh, good timing! God is close to you. Let's do a couple of these scriptures. Psalm thirty four eighteen says, the Lord, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Isaiah 57 says, for this is, the, uh, this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. He says, I live in a high and lofty place, but I also live with the one who is contrite, who is broken and lowly in spirit. Bible, the Bible teaches over and over and over again that God is close. He gives grace to the humble, to the broken. He is present in a powerful way. I remember when I moved to Russia. Uh, during my college years, I, I lived there for about 18 months. And I can remember m- moving there, living there, and it was exciting. And I had all these dreams and plans and all this kind of stuff. And it was a, a great experience for me. But it was a time uh, that year was probably, and, and actually the year that followed, were probably years of greatest brokenness in my life. I got, got sort of opened my eyes to see myself clearly. And it was a pretty ugly picture. Um, and there was so much work that needed to be done in me. And, uh, there was a lot of hard things, a lot of great things, but a lot of hard things about that season. But it's also in those years and in that era that I experienced life with Christ in ways I'd never had before, where my ears were open and I could I heard from Him more than any any time pre, prior to that in my life. I was hearing from Him. I was I had a sense of His love and His grace and His presence with me. It was powerful. He was close. Bill Bright's the founder of a Crew, a uh, guy that during the course of his lifetime shared the gospel with literally a billion people on the planet through the Jesus film and other, uh, other ways. Kind of a hero of mine. But I remember uh, hearing him talk one time in person, and he, he talked about this, this uh, time when he and his wife were really broken by God and uh, literally kept them up all night in prayer and kind of they just surrendered to him and convicted him of this, some stuff and all this kind of stuff and they ended up at the end of that night they wrote out a contract and said from this point forward I am a slave to Jesus Christ and they actually dated it they typed it up signed it like a like a contract uh, a legal document there was a, just a great breaking a great time of surrender for them Two days later, God gave them a vision for what would eventually become Campus Crusade for Christ or CRU, uh, an international ministry, first bringing the gospel to college students and, and, I mean, I don't know, hundreds of thousands probably of college students have been introduced to Jesus Christ through their ministry and, uh, and then uh, even a vision to expand it to the world. It's crazy. But first came the brokenness and then God came near and revealed his plans to them. That's how it works brokenness uh, leads us uh, closer and closer to God. He surrendered his life, but then God drew him near and spoke to him. Second thing, uh, I'll keep going here. Second promise is that God is pleased with you. We, We read this before, but let me just highlight it again. These are the ones that I look on with favor. This is the one I esteem. The Bible says those who are humble and contrite in spirit and tremble at my word. God is pleased with you he respects you he esteems you he smiles on those who are humble and broken he gives grace to you even that's pretty crazy don't you think you know what brings a smile to god's face it's when you and you and i humble ourselves before him when we walk this path of surrender and brokenness third one god promises to revive you he'll revive you Again, I live in a high and holy place, uh, but also uh, uh, with those who are contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I thought that was great. Anybody feel tired or weary this morning? The word revive means literally uh, to bring to life, to breathe life into again, to nourish, that kind of stuff. The road to nourishment, the road to life, Coming alive again is dependence on God, it's surrender, it's brokenness before him. Fourth one is that uh, God's power is in you and is even made perfect in you. Second Corinthians 12 puts it this way, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, he says, I'll boast even more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power can rest on me. Crazy. Even in our weakness, in fact, especially in our weakness, he says, especially in our brokenness, we see and experience and show off God's power. Fifth one, God uh, will give you the kingdom, right? We looked at this earlier, Matthew 5, 3, blessed are those uh, that are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is impossible for us to end up in God's kingdom. On our own strength. It's impossible for us to be strong enough and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to deserve God's presence, to deserve God's forgiveness. It could never happen. The only path to God's kingdom, both in terms of heaven one day, but also living with him today is the path of brokenness. It's, It's the way it is. The poor in spirit are given the kingdom. Those who are broken in themselves are walking on the path to God's kingdom. Only the broken will enter. Sixth one, last one is uh, God will bind up and heal your wounds. God will heal you one day. Psalm one forty seven three says He heals the brokenhearted and He binds up their wounds. Now, does that mean that He will always bring healing in our time to, on our timeline? That He'll always bring healing the way we want it? No but he promises that that one day either it could be here or it could be one day when we go home to be with him, there will, will be a full healing for the broken. Friends, some of us might be here this morning and maybe you're going through a season where you are feeling broken and you are living and walking this path of brokenness that we're talking about today. Maybe you are really broken before the Lord and you feel vulnerable sometimes. Maybe it's a hard season for you right now and you are, uh, and God is sort of taking you through this season and this breaking process. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you today. The reason I share these last six real quick is I want to, I want to just remind you and remind us that he is with you when, when we are walking in brokenness, that he is pleased with you, that his power and his presence are on you that you are on the road to the kingdom, that he will revive you and heal you one day. It's worth it, he says. As Spurgeon once said, the way to rise in the kingdom is to sink in ourselves. So maybe you just need to be encouraged this morning and just be reminded, even in hard stuff, that God brings the best blessings. He brings great healing. He brings good things in brokenness. But maybe there's some of us that are here this morning and we're still trying to be strong enough on our own. We're still trying to do it our way. We don't want to be broken. We are fighting and kicking and screaming against with all we have. And you and I, I think, maybe need to be reminded that brokenness and humility and surrender, that's the path to life. That's the path to the good stuff. Without being broken or relying on God, there is trouble ahead for you. Some of us may have even submitted ourselves to Jesus at one time or another, but we have sort of taken back control again. And if that's you, if you are struggling uh, in this whole area of brokenness, in this whole area of surrender, I wonder if you would begin praying this week, remembering all this stuff, all the benefits, all the blessings that there are, and we've only scratched the surface. But I wonder if you would begin praying this week, God, would you break me? Would you take me on the path to break me in a good way? so that I can live, to break me, so that I can know you more, to break me, so that I can experience and walk in new life with you. I, want, I need you, Jesus, and I want to I be your kid. All that I am is yours. I want to be broken and poured out for you. I want to be all in for you. Would you break me? I wonder if you would begin praying that kind of prayer this week or I get this it might be a bit much for us, right? Maybe maybe we need to baby step it. Maybe there's a particular area of your life that you, you have been holding back and you've been you know, trying to keep God out of and maybe God is nudging you this morning on that kind of stuff. And maybe he's, he's poking you and saying, would you, what about that? What about that one area? Maybe there's one specific area where we could begin to pray, God, would you break me? Would you help me to open up my hands? and surrender myself to you again. Forgive me for hanging on so tightly. I want to walk with you. I want to know your grace and your presence and your strength and your peace in my life. I want to live my life in your kingdom. So would you break me in that area? I surrender it to you afresh. Would you have your way? I don't know what God may be saying to you this week, but I'll tell you what, friends, the path of brokenness really is the path that leads to life. Would you pray with me? God, I get this is a hard one. This is a hard one for me. It's a hard one for us to talk about weakness, to talk about surrender, to talk about acknowledging our own junk even to dying to ourselves so that we can live for you and with you and in you. God, it's hard. And I don't know, I think all of us probably can admit to say we want it and we don't want it all at the same time. But God, this morning and this week, would you help us to believe? Would you you speak your word into our hearts and into our lives? And we just want to crack the door of our hearts, crack the door of our lives, and just pray, come, Lord Jesus, right? Come, would you break us? Would you humble us? Would you help us to see you and to see ourselves so clearly that we can't puff out our chest or pretend that we're enough on our own, but would you break us and and send us to our knees just acknowledging the truth, which is that we need you, Jesus. Jesus. Would you break us, God, and teach us to, to surrender our own wills and our own plans and our own agendas and our own lives, every part of us. And, and God, would you, would you help us to break those and pour them out before you in worship? And finally, God, would you break us, open our hearts and lives wide so that we say we are all in. We want to follow you we want to we want to do life with you we want to come alive and be revived with you god we want to know your presence in us and with us so would you break us so that we can be healed would you break us so that we can know and see your presence would you break us send us to our knees so that you can resurrect us and bring new life about in us how we need you God how we love you I thank you that we can trust that you have our best interest in mind that you're not breaking us to ruin us you're bringing us to you're breaking us to bring us to life and so God we just open up and just pray the prayer come and break us come and humble us come and free us us and come and lead us, God, have your way. We need you, God. We love you. We're going to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.